CryptoPunks, which was the first one that was minted, the cheapest one right now is $37 million. That's how crazy valuations are gone from this. Welcome to Modern Business Operations, where we talk with leaders about how ops is adapting to our modern world. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Modern Business Operations podcast. My name is Sagi. I'm the CEO and founder of Tonkin. Thank you for joining me today. We talk a lot about operations and the future of business operations. And today, if you go to any CIO event or you read any analyst or Gartner specifically reports, you'll hear composability comes a lot. And that concept is something we've talked about in this podcast in the past and something that I obviously very excited about personally. Today, we brought in and I have the big pleasure of hosting Jeff Wang, who is both an expert in operations, but also, interestingly, in blockchain and crypto. Unless you're living under a rock, blockchain is a big thing and massively growing. And composability is actually more than just a concept there. It's the way it operates. So without further ado, Jeff, welcome. Yes. Hello there. How's it going? It's pretty good. Thank you for joining us today. Well, glad to be here. Awesome. So Tell us more about you and your background with blockchain and crypto, and then what is composability and why is that such an important part of, of blockchain and crypto? Well, some people spend their free time, I don't know, watching sports or Netflix. I spend all my free time playing with cryptocurrencies and playing with the protocols and networks. And I'm actually a general partner at Lunatic Capital, specializes in Luna, the ecosystem there. And I also write a newsletter for Robert Kiyosaki that's called Rocket Fuel Crypto or Rich Dad Crypto. There's actually two branding there. I also have two blockchain patents pending. It's a great hobby. It's always changing. And I think we're going to talk a lot about that in a second here. That's amazing. How long have you been doing this? Since 2017. So about four years of both euphoria and pain. If you uh, watch the charts there, a lot of volatility in the markets. Tell us more. And for the listeners, here's a lot of buzzwords of crypto and blockchain. What is blockchain? You know, why is it so exciting for so many in the market? In 2017, people were saying blockchain is not a big deal, right? Blockchain is really essentially just decentralizing a service. Bitcoin was kind of the first blockchain use case that really was successful, which is just taking a ledger or database and making it distributed. And by doing that, nobody truly owns it. You can't really destroy it. You can't really try to hack it. You can't do much because it exists on so many copies and to interact with it. Anybody can interact with the system. Anybody can participate in the system. But at the end of the day, it's just a ledger. All it is is keeping track of how much Bitcoin each person has, right? So it started off as just that. And the reason why I, I bring it up is because composability, there's two factors, right? One is like open source. Composability can be code that anybody can reuse, right? The other is like composability where people can interoperate. So I, I give out a service that anybody can plug in and use and get value from it. Let's start off with the first use case, which is reusing code. What really happened in 2016, 2017, somebody reused the Bitcoin code. They added a layer on top called smart contracts. And that allowed people to write code on top of a distributed ledger. And I know we're going to get a little technical here, but what, what essentially happened is people started doing these uh, fundraising with it. They could generate coins on it. And then people use that to raise money. And crypto went from a like few billion dollar valuation to a hundred billion dollar valuation within a matter of a few months. So that was like kind of the first 
thing that happened. So I'll pause there before we jump into all the other things that happened exponentially after. So basically, the biggest jump from your point of view was the fact that people could have reused the distributed ledger aspect of the technology, but build on top of it additional use cases and expand it. Correct. And the problem back then was scale. There wasn't enough infrastructure like transactions per second. It wasn't fast enough to run very complex apps. So the only application really that became successful was creating more coins on top. So in 2017, you saw like all these random coins come out of nowhere, including copies of Bitcoin. So people just forked the code on Bitcoin. They created Dogecoin, Litecoin, they had Bitcoin Cash, all that. There was like 20 different Bitcoin, like diamond, platinum, silver. Everybody jumped in because of how much value could be created, right, by reusing the code and creating your own product. At the end of the day, it all crashed because there was actually no product market fit. There was nothing that was truly a service that everybody could use in their everyday lives. But I think that change around 2020 is when things finally hit product market fit. So when you look at, you know, some of the other known, you know, it's real products, but for the non-educated audience, it sounds like buzzwords, you know, things like NFTs. Can you explain those a little bit? Let's just kind of walk through logically what happened next. So we talked about distributed ledger first, that's Bitcoin. We talked about smart contracts, which is a logic layer, that's a Ethereum. What happened in 2020 was a thing called automated market maker, which is basically I'm allowing you to take a coin and putting it into a pool. And then I'm allowing another person to trade between the pools, meaning like I want to trade Ethereum with Sugi coin. And I have a Jeff coin here as well. I have another pool of liquidity. Basically, that idea became a huge, huge deal because people could trade. So you've essentially created a crypto exchange that nobody operates, nobody owns, but everybody can participate in, right? So this was an explosion in 2020. People just thought of all these use cases. Hey, let's do borrowing and lending. Let's do decentralized trading. Let's do more fundraising, right? I could create a coin and have people trade against it, right? Immediately too. And then if you think about any financial service, insurance, you know, we talked about borrowing, lending, there's even like savings accounts now and even stable coins. All these things were built on top of that concept that you can trade between each coin. So this this interoperability between, I have a coin, I want to trade with you, exploded the markets from just a hundred billion to like a couple hundred billion in 2020. And people, I think, kind of missed out on this. It's like a huge disruption because right now you have Coinbase, you have all those crypto exchanges. They actually aren't necessary anymore because more volume was on those exchanges than what were on Coinbase at one point last year. That's how crazy this trend is right now. And then from that, trading, there were more evolutions since then. Exactly. So again, with crypto, and again, right now there's a rebranding to Web3 because it's more than cryptography. It's more than currency now. The merging between art and cryptography and currency is happening now. And that's what everyone's hearing these buzzwords with NFTs, right? So basically an NFT is just a unique asset on the blockchain. And we talked about distributed ledger. You can put anything on that ledger, right? And this ledger is telling you that Sigi owns this piece of artwork. And that also exploded. I mean, NFTs have existed for a while, but somebody created a protocol where you can put it on a marketplace and sell it. And that was copied by everybody else in the industry. All of a sudden, you see 
like scarce assets of art keep getting turned out every single day. So like scarcity is kind of weird if every day there's more artwork being turned out, right? But this is exactly what happened. Every day a new NFT would come up and then that would be minted on the chain and then people would buy it. And again, because of the AMM thing we talked about, you can trade against it, right? Just to kind of illustrate how valuable these are, CryptoPunks, which was the first one that was minted, the cheapest one right now is $37 million. That's how crazy valuations are gone from this. We're also seeing gaming become scarce. There's games that sell plots of land, virtual land. Just last week, one was sold for $2.4 million. Just a pixel on a map, that's what you're buying, a $2.4 million pixel, pretty much. Because there's these incentives, it gives people motivation to copy, right? To use the composable objects, copy it, and then build your own thing on it, and then have it interoperate with other networks as well. First reaction is this is kind of crazy, right? Create new type of value definitely has a price where right? people are exchanging money with it, things that they can, you know, buy different goods with to buy that pixel to your point or that, you know, work of art. There's two things that come to my mind. One is I think what comes to a lot of people's mind is, is that is that actually real? Like, is that actually long, long living thing? Or is that sort of like a hype of, you know, something something new and exciting and people want to grab a place in, in line. But then the second thing is just the evolution of what you described in the last five minutes. It's really mind blowing when you think about that first sort of like Bitcoin blockchain white paper and just the, where you get to when you allow creativity to run wild, but align it with incentives and outcomes, which is, in this case, it's money. But just in general, the fact that when you open it to so many more people that can now leverage it in different ways, what they're able to come up with is something you would never imagine. And also the exponential nature of this is the crazy part. We haven't even discussed DAOs yet, which is a decentralized autonomous organization. Essentially, you can have an entire business or even a corporation run by anonymous people, each with voting rights based off of the amount of tokens they have. So decisions of an entire company can be completely decentralized with this new concept that's getting popular. But what I want to talk about is how fast this came out. Everything we just talked about, so from Bitcoin to Ethereum took about five, six years. From the Ethereum smart contracts to the automated market makers, took three years, so about half the time. Now from the automated market makers, we talked about all this explosion of decentralized finance, billions and billions of dollars being created. And then we talked about NFTs, we talked about GameFi, we talked about DAOs, right? All of those last few things I talked about is only in the last year. Wow. So just think about because each component is being shared and copied and reused and built on top, there is this crazy, crazy exponential effect happening which is why right now the crypto market is around $3 trillion in market cap. So last year it was only about $200 billion in market cap. So composability is like, yeah, software is like greatest weapon right now. It's only going to get more crazy as more ideas come into fruition. This episode is brought to you by Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, providing businesses with the building blocks to orchestrate any process with no code or change management required. Contact us at Tonkin.com to learn how you can build complex processes fast. And if you're interested in staying up to date on all things business operations, join the Adaptive Ops community at operations.community. If we try to bring this back to the topic of business operations and 
you know, for a lot of the listeners, you know, what can we learn from blockchain and crypto? What can we learn from that pace of innovation, which I think can scare a lot of people, but at the same time has an opportunity to, like you said, create billions of dollars of, of new capital for the currency market. But if you take it internally to your own business, to your own operations, you know, has the potential of creating unbelievable progress and unbelievable innovation. What do you think is the key to all of it? Most people think end to end, right? They think of project as a definitive start, a definitive end and a definitive value. But I think people need to start thinking about reusability and composability, which is what we're talking about. So how can I create a service or a business outcome that is accessible by other organizations or by other team members? And that is where you get that exponential growth is if I, for example, create a service to notify when a new employee joins, right? And then I share that service with other teams, everybody would find that extremely useful. But if you think about it, there is a lot of restrictions with today's organizations, whether it's software or like data or access, or even engineering development resources as restrictions. These things prevent composability from happening. But if you were to try to create a culture of composability and sharing access to these services, that is where you're going to see the exponential value come into play, as you can see in crypto. So it's accessibility, but it's also the reusability, right? And I love the idea of you don't have to think about things necessarily from a project that starts and ends, but as an iterative motion that every building block within it can be then used by another person. If there's an, let's say an operation leader listening in, right? Whether it's global operations, like, you know, called director or VP of operations, or to a specific department like sales operations or finance operations and so on. What does that mean for them, even from a methodology perspective, what does it mean for them to start thinking more composable, trying to reap some of the benefits, you know, that we've seen in a justice world like blockchain inside the organization? Well, it's definitely a culture shift, right? I think many organizations have a definitive ROI and that's how they prioritize. But what they really need to do is is switch the culture into a more iterative approach, as you say, right? An agile approach. If I have a project, I need to think about starting small, iterating on top, getting value immediately, and really making that public too, right? If, if you share something that's valuable to the rest of the organization, somebody else is gonna build on top of that and create something even more valuable, right? And then maybe those two building blocks then get shared to the rest of the organization again, and that becomes even more valuable. It's hard to envision in today's world because it does require some governance, right? And it requires some engineering resources in most of the platforms today. But once you kind of remove barrier by barrier, I think operations leaders, if you can find those capabilities to allow your business teams to create these components, it's going to be, again, completely revolutionary in the business operations world. This connects to another you know, point of a lot of the growth happened in blockchain, and you mentioned it earlier, is that concept of open source and that ability for developers to come up with new use cases and build on top of the existing technology. So, you know, you build on top of the distributed ledger, you build smart contracts. And on mm-hmm. top of that, you know, you build the next thing. You know, one thing we've been talking in this podcast before and the company you're talking, we talk a lot about is that concept of empowering and enabling more people 
to be able to sort of build and iterate that are not necessarily developers that sort of like truly do that without writing code. So the buzzword of no code in the extreme sense of the of the phrase. What's interesting to me is when you think about you know being more agile, have more accessibility, it is actually being more decentralized too. Distributing the power, quote unquote, of creating into more people. So it's, you know, not maybe fully decentralized as, you know, blockchain conceptually is, but still moving from a place where there's only a few percentage of a group that can do something to an increased amount of them. And in that way, sort of like trying to induce creativity and innovation. Totally agree. There's some reasons why it does work in crypto and Web3. And there are reasons why it sometimes fails too, right? Sometimes the governance is unclear. Sometimes there's uh, security breaches or exploits. But if you have a platform that the different business operations teams can build on, and there's the proper governance and even the proper training, and of course, like a passion to create change, that's kind of the secret sauce for that success. It's critical, right? Is the anti-change is managing the risk. The reason you would not go with change is always going to be trying to highlight the risks and problems of a failure, right? Of a catastrophe that might happen out of, of misuse or malicious actors, right? And so I'm sure if you're in IT or even if you're in senior management, there's got to be some you know risk in your head of, wait a second, you want me to let more people just build things and share them around? You know, that sounds dangerous. What do you think about that from like, you mentioned like a culture aspect and a culture shift. What are some of the guidelines or the way people should think about it when they go in? Yeah, I think if you are creating building blocks for the rest of the organization, you should have the limitations as to what those building blocks can do, like data accessibility or even like visibility, right? If there's like uh, data that shouldn't be seen, but you want to share the system with somebody, that's something that you have to think about. Obviously, there's various platforms that, uh, that handle that and take care of that. The other thing, though, I think that is probably the missing element. Why it works in blockchain and Web3 is because there is value. There is definitely a huge incentive to create these networks and protocols because there's a lot of value that can be gained. If your composability culture can convince the team that there is value, especially like very fast time to value, right? Because these are iterative uh, building blocks. I think that is like another missing piece. If it's like it's governance, it's value, and it's iterations. I think people have to understand it, it is completely different than the whole project ROI and end-to-end scoping, right? It, it's a very, very interesting world that, that it becomes. You still have the goal. You still have the almost the metric if in crypto is like how much money <laughs> you know you have what's the valuation valuation is is literally the value of that asset i agree with you i think similarly there's a value that we need to agree on for example improving customer experience is a value improving you know the sales cycles to be shorter or improving the efficiency of a certain department has a clear business impact and a clear you know, business value. But the ROI, which is the return over investment, might not be as clear because the solution itself is going to be iterative. And the outcome have the potential of being exponentially better 
you know, doing that way. But it has to be a cultural decision to go agile, to go in iterative approach to get to that impact. I think it's fascinating. And I think there's a lot of parallels and there's definitely a lot of potential and excitement in leveraging the same concepts. Yeah, for sure. And just to give like a few examples, I think we haven't talked about what a composable enterprise looks like right now, right? Well, we talked about like the headcount things. Like if, if the moment somebody joins a company, immediately you want to spin some accounts up, let's say, right? The sales team wants to spin up Salesforce. They want to start the onboarding and the training. But if the sales team decides, hey, we, we should improve our onboarding. We want to get the salesperson to start from one month. We want them to get to start in a week, right? Then they can build a composable thing that is either the templates they need, the access they need, the training they need within the first the moment that they start, right? And then you could say, okay, I, I have updates to that template. I, I want to build on top of that, right? We just hand the salesperson the material or even the questions, the discovery questions immediately when they have their first call. And then that gets updated every time. For example, there's a change in the documents. That building block is still there. So every time a meeting happens, they have the, the questions they're supposed to ask and that gets updated over time. Basically, you can see from the very base layer, there's some building blocks all the way up until the very, very specific moment in time when they have to do something has a building block as well. And again, that, that can be spread across other organizations. Yeah, it, it is very exciting. <laughs> I think we're touching so many different areas here, anywhere from, you know, learning more about blockchain and crypto, which is something I think everyone that are trying to stay up to date are, you know, interested in. And all the way to, you know, how do I use those concepts into operations and into my business and you know you're in a, a very unique position where you have experience in actively working on both where can people listeners that are interested more where they can learn more or you know reach out to you or interact with those concepts and learn about them further you go to my twitter at jeff wayne crypto or rocketfieldcrypto.com which is where the newsletter is awesome and then for the operation side of it well, on the operations side, I do work at Tonkin, so you can always check me out at jeffattonkin.com if you want to reach out for operation stuff. Awesome. Well, Jeff, that was a pleasure. Thank you for teaching us and talking with me through the crazy market and crazy innovation that's happening. I hope we'll be able to maybe catch up again in this in a year and see how fast it happened the next year. Yeah. That'll be a great milestone to check in. in. Definitely. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Modern Business Operations. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at talking.com slash M-B-O-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. 